Welcome to the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Show. Here you will find a variety of podcasts from authors, bloggers, and speakers ready to encourage you on your daily journey. I can't wait to get started. And now let's listen to today's show. This podcast is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Join me, Katie Glennon, on the Literary Cafe podcast, where I share helpful tips and ideas to teach language arts, literature, and writing. My hope is for you to be able to walk away excited to try some new ideas in your own homeschool. Please visit me on my website, literarycafepodcast.com, for these ideas and resources to help you enjoy your homeschool journey. Hi, and welcome to the Literary Cafe podcast. I'm Katie Glennon, your host, and I'm so glad you joined us today for our next topic of why study classic books or simply why study literature. Our last podcasts have dealt with trying to get reluctant readers engaged in reading and actually having fun, and also learning something from literature with out-of-the-box book report ideas and also literary study ideas. Now today we're going to emphasize why should we even be studying literature in the first place. So let's get started, and you'll want to make sure that you either share this podcast with other homeschool friends of yours that you think will enjoy it and learn something from it, as well as subscribe to our podcast or download it. And you can find me at ultimatehomeschoolradioshows.com forward slash literary cafe podcast. I will have show notes there for this particular show about studying literature with a long book list that you'll definitely want to download for your middle schoolers, as well as your high schoolers with recommended classic titles. And I've also marked which ones are the more rigorous and challenging titles that you'll want to read together, or you'll want to maybe find a movie about it, or just an excerpt of that particular novel, or maybe find an anthology that has some poets and poetry um, emphasized along with excerpts of more challenging classic books. So let's get started with why are you going to want to study literature in the first place? And some of these reasons may surprise you. And you may start looking at literature and reading some of these classic books that you've always considered boring and outdated. You may start looking at them with a different light and seeing what maybe can be gained from exposing yourself as well as your children to these titles. So the first thing is appreciation. Appreciation of the written word. And the classic books have a tendency to maybe sound like they're very complicated and convoluted. There are some that I do kind of steer away from as far as reading the whole novel, like Moby Dick, for instance. Some people, that's their thing. For me, that's not quite my thing. So I tend to teach that with an excerpt. But there are some classic books that are just absolutely works of art when it comes to how the author or the poet has used words to paint pictures, evoke feelings from the readers, or create a mood. And they've used literary devices or special types of writing techniques, imagery, 
in order to evoke these feelings or get these pictures into our minds as we read uh, these pieces of work. For example, Charles Dickens, he describes what the scene is outside of Scrooge's office window when we first start reading A Christmas Carol. And he's used a lot of literary devices and the use of imagery and very detailed words in his description so that we can actually hear the people clapping their hands together to keep them warm. We start feeling the chill in our bones as he talks about how cold it is outside. Or we can see how cold it is by the way the characters are described standing hunched over and uh, near fires out in the courtyard area outside Scrooge's office, um, as well as puffs of smoke coming out of their noses and mouths while they're breathing or talking. And we, we can actually feel and see how cold it is outside of his window. And then with Poe, Edgar Allan Poe is a great poet and storyteller when it comes to creating a mood and having us actually feel pretty creeped out. <laughs> <laughs> and then there are other authors who are geniuses with creating a dialogue so that we really get to know characters and appreciate their sense of humor and understand their personality just by the words those characters are using when they speak. It's a true reflection of who they are, and we get to know them very well because of the words that authors use. So the use of words can be very strong there as, as, as a tool when used, and we need to learn how to appreciate that, and we can develop that in our own speech, in our own writing, by looking at how authors have used them in their own writing. The next one kind of branches off from the first one, which is sentence structure. And nowadays, most pieces of work are written at maybe around the fifth or sixth grade level, which is not very challenging. So that when your high schoolers move into college and they're expected to read more difficult works, whether it be literature or non-fiction pieces of writing, um, as well as non-fiction textual books, they need to be able to read above a fifth or sixth grade level. And when you're reading classic books, most of them are above a sixth grade level. So they are used to the challenge of deciphering a more complicated word, a sentence structure. So you do want to introduce them to more difficult and challenging literature as they move through middle school and the beginning years of high school so that by the end of high school, they are reading some more difficult or more challenging literature and it's easier for them to understand. You also can read it with them and summarize together what the author is trying to convey through the more complicated or uh, difficult sentence structure, as well as try to read a book together or an excerpt and then watch the movie, because then it will become more clear as to what the author was trying to say if you can visualize it with a movie, as well as listening to books um, we used to call them books on tape, but now you can listen to them online where the story is being told and the reader can listen to it and they aren't so focused on just uh, how to pronounce the words and follow the sentence structure. It would be easier for them to listen to and comprehend the story as they're listening to it. 
At the same time that it enables the ability in your learners to get used to that and understand that sentence structure, it also is absorbed so that as they get older and they're used to learning and reading this more complicated sentence structure, they start to speak in a more sophisticated manner and also write, especially write with more sophisticated and mature sentence structure as well, instead of just subject, verb, period, subject, verb, period, which is a lot of what, unfortunately, modern literature nowadays, when children are growing up, that's basically the sentence structure that it follows. This also ties into the third point, which is vocabulary. The vocabulary is going to be more challenging and difficult in these books as well, and that's a good thing. If you develop a vocabulary list ahead of time, either using some sort of literary study guide, I'm going to be producing uh, literature workshops where I'll be having a video videos mixed with um, handouts and worksheets, and I'll have vocabulary lists with the definitions. They can either look it up or they can have it handy already looked up for them, where they can use that as a reference as they're reading the book. The vocabulary is important for a number of reasons in liter literature. You're learning the vocabulary in context. So while there might be a difficult word in a sentence while you're reading a classic book, your child will understand probably what that word means from the context within the reading itself. If they can understand what the sentence means, they'll most likely be able to decipher what that word means as well in that sentence. So if the word has meaning, the child is more likely not only to understand the word, but also to remember the word and its meaning. If it's just a random list of vocabulary words that they need to look up in the dictionary um, and then write out the definition, use it in a sentence, and then move on to another list, they're not going to be as likely to remember the meaning of that word and then make it their own, and then later use it in their own conversation or speeches or in their own writing. However, if the word is something that they remember from reading in a story or a book or even a poem, and, it, and they understand the meaning of that story or poem, they're going to be more likely to remember the meaning of that word and then use it more naturally later in their own vocabulary. Another thing that these classic books or literature provides is the opportunity to practice analyzing worldviews. And I loved this with my guys because from a Christian worldview, which we are, we filter what we read, what we hear um, through the word that we get from the Bible. We look at that as our truth. And anything that we read or hear around us, we're going to filter it through that truth as we understand it as truth. And then we're going to either agree or disagree to whatever we're reading or what we're listening to. So for families, it's a good thing to come up with what is your worldview? And then how do we then compare that worldview to what we're reading in this book or in this poem or listening to um, on the news or television or in that movie or uh, that news story in the newspaper. We can develop, do I believe that? Do I agree with that? Do I disagree with that? 
And then, and then from there, the children get an idea of who they are, what they believe in, and what they stand on, and what they stand for. A lot of times with literature that is coming out today, it's called dystopian literature. And there's no longer a line that tells us who's on the good side, who's on the bad side. It crosses over quite frequently and becomes fuzzy. And that's because the characters kind of change their mind about what's right, what's wrong, what's good versus evil, depending upon the situation, not necessarily on what they believe. So that's something else that you would want to discuss with your um, children before they go off to college or in, off to the world, because you have to decide, are your right and wrongs and your morals going to change depending upon what's happening on, around you, upon the situation, um, what other people believe? Are you going to go ahead and then change your mind because of what other people believe around you? So this is a good opportunity to practice and have great discussions on analyzing worldviews and what your worldview is, and then interpret it through that piece of literature. And then even examine moral issues that come up in these pieces of literature. There are a number of classic books where there are different issues that come up, and I'll give you an example of Frankenstein. Should you attempt to create life, or is that something that only God should be able to do? Or more modern literature, you've got uh, the 1984, Brave New World, those different books where, again, man is attempting to kind of control life and steer it where it should go. And is that something that your family believes that we should be able to do in the name of science? Or is that something that only God should be able to do? So those are some interesting topics that can come up even within the piece of literature. The next thing is literature has to um, do with worldview where it actually starts to reflect history and society around the time that the um, author is writing and what the author is, author is writing about because the author is not writing in a vacuum. The author is writing from his or her own personal experiences, what they may be observing and experiencing in a time period of history that they're living, or something from the past, what society views are during the time period that they're writing their story or the poetry, and those things are going to come out in the poem or the stories. So you're going to see reflections of history and what beliefs there were in society in that poet's or author's writing. And to give you an example, in history, and it's, it's funny because you can see it in the literature. Different ways to view things almost acted like a pendulum. And I'll give you an example. There are different literary time periods that we can look at when literature was written. For example, you had the Puritans when they came over to America. And those Puritans would write from really more of a Christian worldview perspective. So the pendulum was over toward God and also how God played in our lives, and it was more of a Christian worldview. Then the pendulum swings over, again, having to do with history and society views. A little after the Puritans, you had the Age of Enlightenment or the Age of Reason. So the pendulum would swing over to more of a humanist or a secular 
worldview. And so therefore, not only was history and society over in that kind of sector exploring that kind of idea, but literature was also exploring that kind of idea. And that's when you had writings about science. You had Sir Isaac Newton over in Europe. You had Ben Franklin doing his writings over here in America. You had um, Thomas Paine with Common Sense talking about logically <clears throat> why we should have um, our individual rights away from Britain. So the emphasis was more on a secular or a humanist view in what was coming out in the writing. After that, the pendulum swung back again toward a more godly view and how God was in nature and you could find God in nature. So you had the romanticists writing poetry and stories where God intervened or there was the providence of God mentioned or it, it started reflecting back to the Puritan views in um, things like the Scarlet Letter. Um, you also had poetry reflecting um, about nature and how they could see God in nature. So the pendulum had swung all the way back again to or toward including God in literature. And then again, after that, with uh, the Civil War, you ended up seeing that the pendulum swung back again with the naturalists and the uh, realists, where they were giving a more real description of what Civil War was like. And they didn't mention God. They didn't mention any kind of religious views in their writings during that time. It was very much focused on what was happening with man. So you can see that literature will reflect history, society, and worldviews. And you can actually see what history was like and also what societal views were like during those time periods. And then on the other hand, it's important to look at literature as how it can influence history and society and worldviews and also societal views during a time period. You have Harriet Beecher Stowe with Uncle Tom's Cabin, which, again, influenced how people viewed slavery. And there's a famous quote where Abraham Lincoln supposedly said, so you are the little woman who started this war. That's loosely translated <laughs> when he met her. So you can see that literature can have an influence on how people view things. And it can the written word can be very powerful. You can also see that in speeches that were made throughout history, such as Martin Luther King Jr., powerful speech. And it is um, widely remembered as being influential on society and how we viewed things back then. Also, with all of this, looking at worldviews, looking at the literature, determining how do you believe uh, uh, one way or the other with what's being presented in the literature, how is it being reflected? from history, how does it influence history, looking at an author's life and seeing what might have happened during that author's life that might have influenced what they were writing about and the point of view that they were writing from. This is all including one of another reason why we should study this more, I guess, complicated literature we call classic books, is it helps you develop higher order thinking skills. These higher order thinking skills go beyond just comprehending what your reading and then being able to retell it. It goes into analyzing the whys, the what's, what happens if this, this happened and then why did this happen and what happened after that. So, and then it also then can include, again, as I said, your personal views, 
What kinds of experiences have you had? So that you're now doing a lot more analyzing and comparison, you know, com doing some comparisons and some contrasting, and you're doing more in-depth higher order thinking skills. These kind of thinking skills are definitely going to be needed in college. So if you can practice now in high school, developing these thinking skills and using a story to do it, it's a lot easier to do that than to start out by looking at a non-fiction piece of writing and trying to have your child analyze that first. In college, they're going to be analyzing a lot of nonfiction articles about different issues, about things that have happened in history, that are things that are happening at the current time, whether it be about science, politics, history. They're going to need to have those skills of being able to analyze. But it's a lot easier to start in the middle and high school years analyzing a piece of writing that's a story than it is to start right away with a piece of nonfiction. So I encourage you to do that. The next thing that will benefit your learner is the idea that a lot of these pieces of literature include universal themes. And when I say universal themes, I'm talking about, you know, what, what does this story include? What is going on in the story? What is it trying to share? What is the message that's being um, like a moral of the story? Um, what is the story about? It goes beyond just the main idea of the story. The pieces of literature have the ability to demonstrate, explain, describe, give you examples of human experience. And what I mean by that is the idea of things that we experience on a daily basis as humans, such as jealousy, revenge, love, grief, pride, greed, good versus evil. And when you can look at it objectively and sit back and either watch a movie from a piece of literature or read the piece of literature, you can kind of watch it more objectively than if you're experiencing it. And you may even start to recognize some of these feelings that you've had and experienced. Watch how it plays out in the story, how the character deals with it, and then learn from it. You can learn lessons from consequences of actions, of what happens when someone becomes jealous or seeks revenge or is too prideful or too greedy. And that's a learning opportunity because you, a lot of times as humans, we tend to say, okay, wow, I experienced that. Did I do that? Wow, that character is doing something I did. Or I would never do what that character is doing. And then you have a tendency to remember that later on, or at least hopefully you do. So you can learn from the actions taken in a story. You can learn cause and effect. And then there are other times where, if have you ever, ever found yourself actually crying when watching something on TV or a movie, especially a Hallmark movie? That's almost an experience where you're just releasing thoughts and feelings that you might have experienced that are similar to what's going on in the screen. And that's, that's like almost a purging effect for us. So literature can really help just get rid of some of our own thoughts, resolve some of our own thoughts and feelings as well. And it leads to a much better understanding of life and experiences. And that also leads to another reason why we should study literature. And this came out in a scientific study that when children read fiction and stories about other people and characters, they tend to develop a better understanding and empathy 
for other people. And that's because they've been able to follow these characters and watch what they go through, experience what they've gone through, see what their thought process is, their motivations for acting and reacting, the way they're feeling and thinking, and what happens when they act on those. And then they develop uh, more of an affection for those characters and a feeling and an understanding about what they're doing, how they're acting, what their personality characteristics you know, are. And then that assists the children in examining the motives of other people. And they can do this not just from reading, but also then when we take it a step further by doing maybe a character analysis by discussing why the character felt that way, why the character acted that way. Have you ever felt that way? Would you do that or would you do something different? And it's great practice without actually having to go through something for children. And it almost helps them set up a game plan of how they're going to act if they're in that situation that the character found themselves in, or how are they going to maybe treat somebody who might be going through something like that? So it does, they found through the scientific study that it really does help these children to, de to develop an understanding of other people and their motivations and their thoughts and their feelings. And then an extension of that in empathy and develop their people skills. So you can develop people skills by reading literature. Another, and the last thing, not only are you going to develop an understanding of people, but lastly, you're going to develop an understanding of other pieces of literature. And the reason why I say that is because there are pieces of literature that have been around for a long time. And the reason why they've been around for a long time is because pieces of that literature, the characters, maybe scenes, quotes, from that piece of literature pop up in more modern pieces of literature. And we call those allusions. And those allusions, they can pop up in poetry that's written even today, plays, songs, movies, TV shows. A very popular one is Romeo and Juliet. We know the story of two young lovers um, who come from two families that are at war with one another and the the uh, two the two young people are torn about their love from one another when they find out that they're from these families and then we all know what happens with Romeo and Juliet that theme or that kind of setup that plot ends up in all kinds of different stories we've got West Side Story which was the play we have Romeo um, and Juliet <laughs> countless others. It shows up in Brady Bunch and TV shows. So there's a lot of allusions to stories that have withstood the test of time. And we can, as I said, understand and greater appreciate these more modern pieces of literature when we are familiar with the original, especially when it comes to quotes from old stories or old pieces of literature or old poems and we understand what that quote means and then it pops up somewhere else and we it gives us a more under a more depth of understanding of what that new piece of literature is trying to say when they include that quote
quote from an older piece of literature because we have some background knowledge. So studying literature does not have to be a mysterious and muddled discussion of symbols and hidden meanings that an author might have buried in a novel for us to decipher and have a long list of comprehension questions. It doesn't have to be that. It can be an interactive exercise and discussion in discovering ourselves, who we are, what we believe in, and using a literary piece as a spring and jumping off point and vehicle for a lot of discussion as well as more exploration into other topics. So I encourage you, don't shy away, don't be afraid, don't wave your hand when people mention studying some classic books. It can be a window to a whole new world and whole new thoughts and experiences. And I encourage you to jump through that window and enjoy that experience. As I said, I have show notes at myliterarycafepodcast.com website page where this particular show is located. And you'll want to see some notes there along with a handout to print out with middle school and also high school book lists with recommendations of what will give you a good foundation in literature so that your child, if their path is to go to college, they will be equipped with some good sound reading behind them. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy your homeschool journey and remember to download our podcast for further listening as well as share with other homeschoolers who you think will get a lot out of why should they be studying literature in the first place. Until next time and our next podcast, enjoy your homeschool journey. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Be sure to visit me at literarycafepodcast.com for this podcast and others and at katieshomeschoolcottage.com for even more ideas and resources for you to use in your homeschool journey. This podcast is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or any of your favorite podcast apps. Look for the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Show to keep up to date with all our wonderful podcasts. For a special subscriber printable pack, as well as all our timely freebies, join our email list on theultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com.